You are listening to Habitus Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to promote creatives in the interior design and architecture. My name is Omitra from Habitus Concept based in Jakarta. I am sitting down with creators and discuss their process, the lessons learned, and how to make impacts. Depending on our guests, Habitus Podcast is available in English and Indonesian. Don't forget to share and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcast. We hope this brings values to you and enjoy. Welcome to Habitus Podcast, Jay Nelson. How you doing, man? Good. Welcome to the show. Tell us about yourself. No. <laughs> Today I'm gonna be the a good pirate. I'm gonna be hijacking the ship today because of you know what people people needs to know about you man not about me so let's give it a try okay so kita bakal reverse di habitus podcast ini kayak biasanya tamu yang diwawancara sekarang tamu yang mau wawancara it's an honor for me to hijacking this podcast hijacking the airway for you and now the host will become the guest welcome Pak Swamitra thank you <laughs> well before we go any further um, Jay thanks thanks for for helping uh, Habitus team Jay is uh, our trainer when it comes to um, uh, the other training about storytelling and perspective and a uh, really talented guy and the moment I knew that he's listening to the same podcast that I listen to I'm like it's on let's do something check him out yeah thank you for the kind words so but now let's talk about the show a lot of episodes in your podcast and none of it about habitus itself let's talk about it time's all yours so what's habitus habitus is a it began as a showroom It began as a showroom and it started by my sister Ika Darmawan and also my brother-in-law Effendi Widikdo. It speaks of more than a lifestyle but it speaks of a habit. Habit of what you're doing every day. Um, the routine and habitus is um, being part of that routine um, means is uh, you interact with things that you Uh, use every day so we started selling sanitary fittings mm-hmm. from Italy uh, various brands that was back in 2012 um, I joined in 2013 December 2013 so a few years back we started as a sanitary fitting distributor and but it grew over time it grew becoming the door hardware distributor It's an un- unforced evolution, I should say. That's who we are today. This is interesting. Kind uh, be coach, coach switching for a while, kayak, kayak kenapa bisa memutuskan untuk banding setir dari sanitary tiba-tiba jadi pintu. Oke, mungkin gue ceritain sedikit waktu gue baru masuk di Habitus. Karena waktu itu Cici gue bilang, lu coba cek showroom kita. itu kita di Sunter 
di Tuscany Marbles. Jadi Tuscany Marbles itu dia ada dua level. Satu itu gudang. Mm-hmm. Terus satu lagi uh, level di atas itu kosong. Dan itu di convert jadi showroom fitting uh, kamar mandi. Jadi waktu pada saat itu kita ada uh, kita carry Jesse brand, Jesse and then we got Bongio. Uh, mainly dua itu. So waktu gua disuruh datang saya like, wow, ini the design of this fittings are It's not like a regular. Fungsinya tetap sama, keran. Cuma modelnya itu um, very futuristic, very modern, very uh, it's totally it's it's it, it's a design item. It's a it's like sculpture in a way. So uh, since then, gua tahu the, the the way of selling those is not like selling it as a shower or a fitting, tetapi as a as a artworks. Mm-hmm. And and it's um it's very interesting. It's a shift of perspective. Uh, it's not about selling function, but it's uh, selling something that you feel. It's a combination of art and math. Somewhere along those lines, in the middle, it could be fitting, it could be doors, it could be musical instrument, it could be books, it could be cars, and and I see that I see that in habitus. Tetapi pada progresnya. Well, satu business sometimes is a uh, it's not a smooth thing. You know, we we go through the storms and going through the storms is, you know, in hindsight it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's very fun. It's very fun. We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> you learn how to swim, yeah. <laughs> how to swim and how to sail, <laughs> how to sail, and you learn how to just not doing anything. <laughs> well, sometimes not doing anything helps. <laughs> Tapi kalau kita di kalau di Jakarta atau di Indonesia uh, yang paling banyak problems di project bahan bangunan atau di project perumahan misalnya itu well semuanya ada problems cuma yang paling uh, tidak di tidak ada masih belum ada awarenessnya adalah problem mengenai pintu kita spend pada saat kita bangun rumah kita spend banyak uh, resource. Uh, time and energy. Let's say choose the right marble or choose the right uh, keramik or or the architecture itself, the the layout, the the function. Tetapi pintu itu filosofinya sangat mendalam dan banyak misconception mengenai pintu. Belakangan ini lima tahun belakangan ini kita ada kita dapat banyak gambar pintu dari teman-teman konsultan, teman-teman interior designers, arsitek. Uh, dan benang merahnya adalah pintu semakin hari semakin tebal. Dulu rumah gua bangun tahun 93 rumah rumah bokap gua ketebalannya 38 mm. Bahkan enggak 36 mungkin 35. Sekarang minimum 4 cm, 45 mm. Standarnya sekarang 5 5 cm. Pada saat pintu tambah besar otomatis beratnya juga bertambah. Pada saat beratnya bertambah Engselnya juga nggak bisa pakai yang uh, regular karena it's uh, under spec, under specified. Uh, that's a basically a basic problems in a lot of doors and kita ngeliat problems are opportunities and we we, we might as well just um, focus di situ. Basically to help out better functioning doors to to realize better functioning doors one at a time. Before habitus, 
mind to tell us a story? From your first time doing like you know how to make money. <laughs> I'm not I'm not like a natural born entrepreneur or businessman. No, I'm I grew up in a simple family, maybe a bit of a family background. Um, parents gua, papa mama gua dari Medan. Jadi pada pada saat itu tahun 83 mereka ke Jakarta. Kupnya uh, dua kakak, uh, dua-duanya perempuan. Uh, mereka dari Medan. Jadi pada saat nyokap hamilin gua, uh, mereka uh, pindah ke Jakarta karena kerjaan bokap waktu itu di sini. So jadi gua punya dua kakak-kakak yang mereka kebetulan sangat berprestasi dalam akademis. Contoh tiap tahun ranking terus top 3 yeah and and they just good at that. <laughs> and the 83 ranking is everything. Yeah, back back in the days like it it's something that you look up to, you know, like wah ranking terus. Sedangkan gua kayaknya emang enggak gitu talented in terms of uh, I tried, cuma kayaknya gua yang paling bikin nyokap khawatir mengenai nilai-nilai akademis bahkan sempat hampir nggak naik kelas the black sheep of the family <laughs> yeah the, the youngest kid they said it's a it's a golden boy but uh, in reality um, well again it's about perspective <laughs> well it's about how how you look at it right? yeah jadi jadi dari kecil karena nyokap sangat khawatir mengenai sekolah gue jadi gue dinglesin dinglesin banyak and, and Uh, ya nggak sempet sampai tinggal kelas sih cuma mm, ya top 10 lah dari belakang <laughs> terus pada saat tahun 98 karena kerusuhan uh, gue dilempar tuh ke Singapura Singapura ke sekolah Indonesia Singapura untuk beberapa bulan akhirnya parents decided untuk udah lo cari sekolah lokal di situ jadi gue gue secondary school di Singapura government school Yusutan secondary ini alumni <laughs> um, did um, English literature waktu SMA di situ. Um, tinggal di boarding school and and gua again gua surrounded sama orang-orang yang jago akademis. But there's a inner rebellion. There's inner rebellion karena gua belajar pun juga enggak sejago mereka. Enggak enggak pernah ranking 10 besar tuh enggak pernah. Jadi um, kalau misalnya cici gua jago piano klasik, gua dinglesin piano gua enggak mau. Gua mau ngeles gitar. Uh, akhirnya gue gue main gitar so belajar sendiri juga sempat kasih but anyway di kuliah juga again I live in my perspective I live in the life of comparison hmm. being compared from my own siblings from other kids maybe they do not mean it that way my parents do not mean it that way at all but uh, it's it's from my perspective it's comparison so ya yeah, jadi daripada gua berusaha menjadi apa yang mereka mau, um, gua banting setir <laughs> sengaja. Nice. So, um, ya waktu kuliah kakak-kakak gua semua belajar engineering, food engineering, industrial engineering from a good school. Uh, I went to music school. Nice. Bayangkan lu punya lu punya anak cowok satu-satunya dan dia minta ke sekolah musik. But um, yeah, I went to Berkeley College of Music. I did not know how I get in there. Karena getting in, mungkin mungkin it was a circumstance. Pada saat itu sekolahnya lagi butuh duit, jadi gampang untuk masuk. 
susah untuk keluar. So I did that. Ya cita-citanya pada saat itu pengen jadi rockstar aja. Tetapi pada saat udah sampai di sekolah, gua surrounded sama kurang lebih dari seribu the guitar department, seribu seratus orang, seribu seratus murid. Dan, How you decide to be the next Brian May? Everybody wants to be John Petrucci, the next <laughs> Brian May or whatever, you know, the next John Mayer. Okay. You know, but um, you know, I think I think waktu itu 20 years old, you went to you live alone in Boston, and uh, again, it's about perspective. Do you see yourself playing, making a living, uh, being a rock star, playing music? I don't think I'm an entertainer. I can play a little bit, but I'm definitely not an ent- entertainer. So it began self-awareness. Jadi, gue decided I don't think this college thing is for me. Gue pengen drop out waktu itu. Cuma bokap gue bilang, if you if you drop out, then yeah, yeah maybe. So I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. Lu nanti bukan anak gue lagi lu kalau drop out. Awas lu kalau drop out. Let's <laughs> tag your parents. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dia dia kasih gue kebebasan untuk milih sekolah, so I respect that and and I give it back by okay gue lulus dan gue lulus dengan nilai yang cukup baik pada saat itu. Went to LA, uh, wanted to work in the music in the music business, the entertainment industry. Uh, tujuan gue ke sekolah tersebut adalah untuk dapat network, mm-hmm. karena orang-orang yang kerja di LA in the music business itu udah ada network sebelumnya. It's a small industry. Def Jam Records. Yeah, it's normally yang yang and in for the kids my age yang kerja di agency atau di record label itu banyak anak-anak lawyer. Hmm. Anak lawyer kalau enggak memang parentsnya udah lama di jadi agent atau jadi artist management. I do not have that networks in LA. Zero. I do not have a family there. I do not have so gua gua ke situ sendirian. Practically work for free. I work for free for six months di Century Media Records. Pada saat itu tahun 2006 is second biggest uh, independent metal label. Metal label. Metal pokoknya if you think Metallica is heavy, it's no. nothing. No. Album Amart. Yeah, those those Dimu Burger. <laughs> yang paling soft di label itu is uh, Arch Enemy. Wow, that's the softest one. Yeah, that's the softest one. Lacuna Coil. Yes. Yeah, itu that's the softest one. Tapi itu soft sih emang sih. It's it's soft. It's it's uh, listenable. It's yeah. melodic. Uh. Tapi waktu gua, I I worked there for free for six months practically and what's up? That's Arian. And um, you know, I was lucky. Karena gue bisa ngelihat the shift in the music industry, and again it gives me perspective. 2006 itu zaman zamannya uh, file sharing peer to peer, dan gue kerja di label, merasa banget bro, berasa banget. I see the numbers, I see the the sales numbers. Every week is plummeting. Karena gue kerjanya tuh di basically itu ada Century Media dia ada gudang gede banget. Mm-hmm. Semuanya itu CD. Mm-hmm. Kerjaan gue, oke okay, dapat terima ini ordernya, lo cari CD-nya, kumpulin, pack, FedEx, kirim. Jadi practically selling CDs. Mm-hmm. Nah itu kan, 
itu belum ada iPhone tuh 2006. Jadi this is before the iPhone era 2007 iPhone keluar. So I remember it very well. Kalau gua mau make a career in music, better be not in label. Jangan kerja di label. Jadi at the same time gua kerja di for free again. Uh, Riptide Music. Riptide Music karena banyak alumni Berkeley kerja di situ. Gua masuk di situ. Uh, working for Rich Goldman. Rich is a composer. Dia itu 2006 ada ada game PlayStation God of War. Hmm. Dia yang compose musicnya. God of War in that year is to me is the best PlayStation game. Ini PS2. PS2 dia bisa bikin dengan music seperti itu and and such a great graphics. And uh, I was lucky to be exposed to work with him. Itu publishing. Jadi the business of publishing is different than label. Publishing is you, you deal with copyright. Jadi misalnya you work with a songwriter. Um, you sign them by uh, assigning they assign 50% of the copyright to this publishing company. Dan publishing company-nya yang ngejual Quran code musiknya itu untuk trailer, untuk um, TV series, untuk movies. Kan gak semua orang bisa license YouTube atau Coldplay karena mahal sekali. So, there's a lot of alternative. So, it's a it's a different kind of label. So, I learned publishing a little bit there. Tapi I think my when I was like 20 something my passion was in live music. So, I went to all the live music as possible the LA. And then I was lucky berkesempatan kerja di William Morris Agency. Pada saat itu gua nggak tahu ada business agency. Um, yang gua tahu label, management, publishing, and concert promoter. But this agency thing, William Morris gua kirain itu adalah uh, merek itu apa? Rokok. Rokok. That's Philip Morris. So awas itu ada jadi ada gap beberapa minggu tuh gua jobless. Like whatever job I can get, I just barely get it, you know. Ya udah, I, I went for William Morris and gue diassign di Music Central. Music Central itu like is basically a mailroom. Mailroom di mana uh, semua surat-surat masuk situ lu distribut suratnya di satu gedung. Jadi di department music itu banyak agents yang ada agents itu dibagi. Agents itu tugasnya untuk uh, artist booking. Management itu untuk manage day to day but agent is to book the artist uh, to uh, concert promoter. In, in the US and worldwide. Nah di situ gue juga kenal sama promotor-promotor Indonesia pada saat itu. Java Music Indo ada dealing banyak dengan Willem Morris. Ada Java Music Festival back then itu udah ada juga. So it's good to have this, those exposure to my own country juga the buyers my own country and knowing what is the landscape of the, the of the music in 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 Indonesia. Um, but it was not easy. It was not easy. Gua selama 6 bulan pertama di William Morris itu kerjanya cuma mailroom. I'm a mail guy. Imagine Berkeley graduate it means nothing. Zero. Bahkan orang yang lulus uh, apa sekolah hukum di situ yang mau berkecimpung di dunia entertainment business, entertainment law, you started in agency as a mail guy. As a mail guy, you just deliver the mails in that building, dispatch. Jadi kalau ada orang mau kirim um, package dari satu departemen ke departemen, departemen lain, then you look for guy like me in Music Central. <laughs> Dia yang keling. Jadi sehari itu gue bisa, bisa jalan 3 mile. 
cuma keliling gedung. <laughs> That's a good sport. And 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 you know I like the process. You know, gue gue bisa expose sama di tengah jalan bisa ketemu artist and um, your favorite producer ada sekali. Very very interesting. Gue lagi naik lift. Um, gue ketemu this guy very big, pakai kacamata hitam, beard. It's Rick Rubin. Oh, nice Rick Rubin. It's Rick Rubin. I'm like, I don't care about all this walking. Being in the Rick Rubin in the same elevator. Dan gue juga nggak boleh starstruck mm-hmm. kerja di situ. But I grew up with the music produced by this person, and he just like very zen-like approach. Being around him, it changed my life. You know, it's it's um, it gives you another perspective. It's Los Angeles is close, but it's very far. Like you're close to those huge producers, huge artists, but you know, <laughs> it. I was just a kid in in my early twenties. But aku uh, juga pernah ketemu um, James Bond. Uh, who is that guy? The latest James Bond? Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yes. And and bunch of other big names di situ. Uh, they're just a person. They're just a regular guy, you know, that is doing their job. Cuma meeting sama agentnya, discussing about oh, this opportunity, that opportunity. But that that years in LA, it's it's uh, it gives me. I'm I'm. Kalau gue ada kesempatan ulang lagi, I will do it all over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I don't know. In in hindsight, I just knew that. Um, that opportunity is is uh, not for everyone and i took it and i look back i cherish that after the los angeles days after los angeles um, you know the gua ingat banget waktu itu 2008 2009 the economy economia was really really tough um, it affected a lot of the industry and i think Um, being the only son, I kind of know that uh, it was kind of like a good time for me to check out Indonesia. So my dad always say you you have to keep your options open. So I went back and I kept my options open. Uh, daripada ngapa-ngapain, gua akhirnya again I work for free di pabrik sepatu. So there is a, a family friend uh, punya pabrik sepatu. Gua kerja di pabrik sepatu to see the process, to see the 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 philosophy of making shoes, mm-hmm. men's shoes, women's shoes, and children's shoes. Um, again, it's 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 a lot of math. It's a lot of um, it's a lot of math issues with the sizing, with the mold, with the materials. But I think there's a yang gua ngerasain waktu itu there's a lack of art. I think we need to work with the designer. I think we can do better in this. We can do better in that. Tapi dari kacamata orang awam kayak gua. So akhirnya me and my my cousin uh, we created our own brand. It's Bokoroko Pillow Concept. Bokoroko masih ada nih sekarang and it's it's doing pretty well in Indonesia. Uh, jadi ide ada sepatu, tapi dalamnya ada patented pillow konsepnya. It's a, it's very uh, it's spongy, it absorbs a lot of shocks. Uh, tapi biasanya comfort shoes itu tebel-tebel, 
mm-hmm. yang ini dia bisa tetap langsing so it especially doing pretty well in children's shoes mm-hmm. children's shoes itu banyak yang gak comfortable we I think it's a lot of, we it was a good time selling children's shoes <laughs> high end children's shoes and, and it's a it's an overlook market tapi karena gua udah gua sering dikirim ke Eropa what I'm doing in Eropa in Europe I check out all the music festivals and it was great man like Europe is a land of Vikings, bro. A land of everything. Land of everything. You can do whatever you want to do in there. Europe, and if the music is good, the people are good, the beers are great. Again, I do it all in my 20s, and 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 it's great, man. It's a. I mean, I think my 20s was um, the 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 time when I took all the risk, the high risk decisions in life. I took in my 20s. <laughs> Uh, did that for a few years and then kind of miss music so jadi ada ya ada kerjasama sama teman-teman lama lah teman-teman yang masih berkesimpung dunia musik we did the concert promotion mm-hmm. so ada 2013 we did Afrojack di Ancol ada 7000 orang wah it was fun man it was fun but fun as in like looking back it's fun but on the day preparation is really 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 tiring But again, you you know it's it's a you wanna know, wanna know a bit story about Afrojack. Jadi dia terbang ke Jakarta naik pesawat pribadi, pum, mendarat di Halim. Dan dari Halim lu harus uh, well we have a team to do that, but basically you need to uh, siapin Mercedes Benz, all the all these cars, all the all the riders, all the food, you know. But you know it's a it's a life of a DJ. Uh, you get a glimpse of it. Back then, gak ada masterclass.com, jadi you just kind of know there's YouTube. But, um, That's the golden era of EDM, right? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. That, that, that show is like the bomb, man. Afrojack, and then like after that's uh, Swedish House Mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is 2014. Yeah. 2014 is like Swedish House Mafia. The last, yeah. the last show. Yeah. Without them, man. The last yeah. show. Yeah. Afrojack was in there too. Uh, apa namanya? Venue sama. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's fun. Terus ada ada we did the uh, Alter Bridge, Mr. Monty, Miles Kennedy. We did that in 2014. Um, kerjasama dengan Matalang, Matalang Indoor Stadium. And this time around, we did it a bit smarter. Kita ada backing dari militer. <laughs> so your show, di sini, it's, it's, this is not, you know, there is no black and white in here. Mm-hmm. Everything is in gray area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just have to, in hindsight, in perspective, you need to know which battle you want to win. Mm-hmm. You do not have to fight in all fronts. Hey, kalau memang itu um, doing concert is fun, cuma lebih fun lagi tau gak apa? Jadi penikmat. Gak usah mikirin mengenai tiket, gak usah mikirin mengenai izin, gak usah mikirin mengenai tax. Pajak is huge, oh. Perpajakan di Indonesia pada waktu itu nggak beres 2013. Sebelum show itu 10% pajaknya. Setelah show 20%. No. Nah lo, settlementnya gimana? Nggak bisa tutup buku akhirnya kan. So that's another gray area that you need to tiptoe, I guess. This is real story. Um, jadi banyak ada beberapa oknum pemalsuan tiket. This is huge kalau buat teman-teman yang yang dengar ini. 
yang considering bikin show sendiri uh, learn from my experience learn from our experience so you do not fall into the same hole pemalsuan tiket itu adalah sesuatu yang um, terjadi di mana-mana nggak cuma di Indonesia bahkan di negara maju pun tetap terjadi scalping and 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 uh, ya pemalsuan lah ditangkap tuh sama polisi-polisi tuh setelah show kelar gue ke polsek uh, di di Gunung Sari kalau nggak salah tahu gak siapa yang ditangkap mm-hmm. anak-anak kecil jualan tiket palsu anak-anak kecil terus gue ditanyain pak ini mau diproses gak Mining kalau mau diproses itu lu harus bayar duit. Ya, yeah. always happens. Ya, yeah. gue ngapain proses anak kecil? Nggak mm-hmm. manusiawi banget kan? Mm-hmm. Pada saat itu juga pak lepas semua ya pak. I don't care if they there's more than just money and business. You do not you do not do that to kids. They might not even know what they're doing. You know like ya yeah, pada saat itu gue baru ngerti oh it has nothing to do with music at all. It has nothing to do with EDM. It has nothing to do with any of this, you know, perspective. And is this the life that I'm gonna live? Um, no, not in here. So it's good just to be penikmat aja. We do not have to. Um, well, it's just it's just a way of of the the life saying to me like, look, you just need to calibrate your life, you know, enjoy the process and and. Tapi gue penasaran waktu itu sekali lagi deh. Ya udah, alter bridge. It's amazing, man. That that show is. Gue udah nonton Alter Bridge like enam kali. Ke enam itu di Indonesia terakhir, and it was the best show. And behind all the rock and roll, it's a lot of discipline and and a lot of uh, routine, a lot of um, a lot of things that you can actually emulate that and apply that in other businesses. Yeah, I guess perspective. And yeah, dari situ gue baru sebenarnya waktu Alter Bridge gue udah mulai dihabitus sih. Gitu. So uh, I do I do a lot of uh, a lot of side projects that's fun. I think like gue jarang sih punya teman yang benar-benar dari kayak backstage music industry. And then uh, if you say that the, there's some some things that can be applied on the regular business on the music industry itu apa aja? Oke, okay. contoh gini. Waktu gue tahun 2007, I met this band in Los Angeles. This band is Slank. Slank lagi rekaman di Los Angeles. Produsernya Bruce Saraceno, itu gitarisnya Poison. So, tone-wise mereka cocok. Uh, chemistry-wise sangat cocok. Dan waktu itu mereka di-sign oleh Mushroom Head Records, I guess. Ya, yeah, itu, itu, um, let me check again the name, but itu back in the 86. That record label distributed um, Sign Metallica, mm-hmm. uh, Ride the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Slang was signed to that label. Um, 2008-nya mereka mau tour, cuma belum ada agent. Nah, gue lagi kerja di Willem Morris. I know so a bit of networks around around the the US, the buyers, club buyers, rock buyers in in the US, and they they reach out to me, and ya udah kerja sama-sama Slang, dan akhirnya gue di perjalanan. Gue book shows di situ. Um, oh, in, this is interesting. I'm pretty sure until now, the only Indonesian artist or the Indonesian band that is signed by a Hollywood agent 
is slang. Dia desain oleh Paradigm Agency. Paradigm is Paradigm Agency is a top four, top five biggest agency in the, in the world. Slang was on the roster. Um, tetapi slang pada saat itu maunya main di konser anak-anak muda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, not the young, more like a Vans tour something like that. Mm-hmm. Tapi turn out cocoknya tuh di kasino. So we sold out a lot of casino dates. <laughs> sold out di kasino. Why is that? Huh? Why is that? Karena kasino tuh uh, yang yang suka ke kasino itu demografiknya 40 tahun ke atas. And they have the money. Mm-hmm. And they 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 grew up with rock and roll and they they are ready to get drunk. Mm-hmm. Drunk and rock and roll just goes together and when you're drunk you just buy the tickets and then have a good time. I mean, it's 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 life and loud and Casino shows are fun, and people are just having fun, having a blast. Nah, tadi pertanyaannya apa yang gue bisa aplikasikan di regular business? Guys like slang itu, let's say shownya dua jam, satu setengah jam or whatever. 23 jamnya ngapain? Mm-hmm. 23 jamnya mereka pada disiplin. Kakak itu tiap hari sit up, makanya itu he's in shape. Mm-hmm. If you think slang is drugs, no, they're not. They're clean. They eat well, they practice well, they rest well. Jadi the, when the moment to hit the stage comes, they they're like on top of their game every single show, every single show. Dan ini enggak cuma selengnya, semua musicians that uh, have a career di di music, lengthy uh, um, apa namanya yang uh, karir yang panjang, benang merahnya satu itu disiplin. Discipline in songwriting, discipline in um, diet, discipline in keeping yourself in shape, um, discipline in in uh, working in a studio, working within budget. If you're like on drugs, you cannot work in budget, and then yang ada budgetnya membengkak, belum tentu hasil karyanya bagus. Gitu. So orang-orang yang musisi-musisi yang disiplin itu karirnya panjang. Jadi nggak cuma pada saat ngetop atau pada saat no. Itu semua bisa bisa diplankan. Those those things is the same like um, managing managing my life. Itu it's the same perspective. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of um, uh, doing the things that's yang pada saat lo malas tapi you're doing it anyway. Kayak hari gini contoh disiplin bikin konten, disiplin podcast. Yeah, if habitus want to do podcast, better be discipline. We started with once a month, and now we're doing it twice a month, something like that. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work behind all the people's success. Yeah, itu. Did it? Does it answer your question? Yeah. <laughs>